Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Do appreciate you being here. We're on episode 156. And today we got a great guest for you. We've got Ian Altman who's hanging out with us today. You can check his work out over at ianaltman.com, I-A-N-A-L-T-M-A-N.com. Ian is a, uh, a sales speaker, sales expert. There's a lot of sales speakers in the industry, but Ian has done a great job really positioning himself as a go-to authority on this. So he's got a lot of wisdom to share today. And I think you're really going to enjoy today's conversation with Ian. So we're going to be talking about how he got his start and actually how he rose to become a $20,000 keynote speaker. We also talk about why it's so important to speak to the right audience, how to determine who that right audience is for you and who it should be, who you should be targeting and reaching out to. We talk about how to be confident when quoting your fee as a speaker. We also talk about how to sell yourself as a speaker. So a lot of stuff that I think you're really going to uh, get a lot out of today. I know selling yourself as a speaker is a very, very difficult challenge, and it's a difficult obstacle for most speakers to overcome. So Ian's really going to break this down and simplify this for us today. Now, before we get to the uh, conversation with Ian, let me let you know about a, a free tool that we put together for you. You can check out over at myspeakerfee.com. Again, that's myspeakerfee.com. Picking out what your speaking fee would be, determining that is a, uh, it can be complicated. It can be confusing. It can be messy. So we try to demystify that for you by uh, putting together this free calculator you can check out over at myspeakerfee.com. Answer a couple questions. It's totally free and it will uh, tell you what, uh, just kind of a ballpark of what you should be charging. Now I'll tell you this. It's not an exact science, all right? So if you're like, whoa, this is way lower, way higher, that's all right, all right? That's okay. So go with what you're comfortable with. But if you're just looking for a range, then this is a good place to start. It's also, it tends to work better for speakers who are under $10,000 speaking fee. So if you're a $100,000 speaking fee, one, glad that you're listening. Appreciate you being here. Two, you're already charging too much. And keep doing that. If you can get that, that's awesome. All right, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Ian Altman. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Hey, today we're hanging out with Ian Altman from ianaltman.com, and he's going to give us all types of wisdom and strategy on pricing ourselves and how to how to sell ourselves as speakers. So, Ian, thanks for hanging out with us. How's the day going for you, man? Hey, Grant. Thanks for having me aboard, man. And I didn't know I was supposed to share wisdom. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Maybe I should come back I just, another day. I just, I just float that out there just to put the pressure on you from the beginning, man. <laughs> so let's start with this, man. Give us kind of a snapshot of how speaking fits into your business. How much speaking are you doing? Who are you speaking to? What do you speak about? And then we'll kind of back track from there? So I speak at about 60 to 75 events a year. So I know there are people who speak more and some people who speak less, but that's about the number that I hit. And I speak, my topics generally relate to integrity-based sales. So how do organizations grow their business with integrity? So not the slimy way, but how do you do it all integrity-based? Yeah. 
And so, as you can imagine, that means I speak a lot of conferences, sales kickoff meetings. I speak to groups of CEOs and executives for organizations like Vistage and EO. And so, really, a pretty broad range. And for some of those marketing type events, my fees might be substantially less than my regular fee, which is about $20,000 when I speak. And it's just to give people a context of this is what the market will bear for what I do nowadays. And I just consider myself fortunate that there's people who see enough value in that that they want to pay it. Nice, man. Well, it seems like with a topic like selling and sales, that that is something that you could speak to a lot of different industries and niches and verticals. Obviously, that affects any type of business of of every size. So is there any specific vertical or or any specific industry or niche that you focus on for that or that you have? I mean, it sounds like today, it's kind of a broad, wide spectrum. But even early on, anything that you did to really, I'm going to focus on this and then kind of see where it grows from there. So a lot of where I spend time is with people helping organizations increase their sales without salespeople, meaning how do I get the subject matter experts? How do I engage the non, the people who would never consider themselves in sales? How do they embrace a process that's cool for them and for their clients? And so if you can engage that, what's usually a super majority of your organization that doesn't think they're in sales to do better at identifying opportunities and driving revenue, Man, that's pretty cool because now all of a sudden you're not adding headcount, you're just getting more production. And it's kind of a cool thing if you can do it right. Nice. Let's backtrack for a little bit. How did you first get into speaking? So I started my first company. So this business I started in 2009, as and really it's largely in speaking and a little bit of consulting. Obviously, I do a lot of writing. I read a column in Forbes and Inc. and written a couple of best selling books on sales. But 1993, I started my first company. We became a fast 50 company by 1998. It's one of the 50 fastest growing companies in the Washington, D.C. area. We then built a software company also, grew both of those companies to the point that in 2005, we were acquired by a group of investment bankers for cash and stock. I was asked to serve as managing director of the parent company. We grew that business from $100 in value to a couple billion in, in just over three years. So I realized that I enjoy growing businesses a lot more than I enjoy running them. Sure. So that's what I get to do now is I get to help people grow their businesses without actually having to run them, which is a great place to be. Right. Because I don't have to deal with any of the personnel deals, the the personalities, the politics. Sure. I can give them formulas for success and, and move on to the next one. Nice. Very good. You came into that or you sell it and then you come in as the kind of the managing director there. How do you start yeah. to get in? How do you transition into, into speaking? Was speaking something well, that you wanted to do or something that, that kind of fell in your lap? I mean, here's the embarrassing part of it. In my prior business, I did a lot of speaking. So I'd speak at a lot of conferences and events. And without realizing it, all of a sudden, I was the guy they would book to go on after lunch. And I'd say, why is that? And I'm like, because the audience is like always engaged. You always have them laughing. So we need somebody after lunch when sure. people could be sleepy. Sure. I was like, well, that's very flattering. And I used to use it for business development. Yeah. And when I sold the other business, grew that for a few years, and then I literally stopped. I didn't have a plan. It wasn't like I stopped and went straight into speaking. I spent six months doing absolutely nothing except for driving my wife totally bonkers. <laughs> and a number of friends of mine would say, oh, I'm having this issue with my business. And I'd say, oh, here are the three things you should focus on. Here are the four things. And then a few months later, everything was rocking for them. Yeah. And one of them said, why don't you speak to groups like Vistage and EO? And I said, well, what are those groups? Yeah. And and what do you mean speak to them? Like, just go in and talk to them? No, no, like as a speaker. And it really hadn't occurred to me. So I guess I'm kind of an accidental speaker in that regard. And one of the things that became clear is nobody is hiring a speaker. They're hiring what I would call an alleged subject matter expert who can also put two words together. Sure. 
and so I think for speakers, one of the things we always have to remember is what is our area of expertise that we bring to the table? And if we can speak intelligently and articulately about that, then we have something worth talking about. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I remember early on in my own career, a buddy reached out to me and said, they're not hiring speakers, they're hiring experts who happen to speak. And so the better you can do on that side of it in terms of being eloquent and putting a thought together and being entertaining and inspiring, motivating, whatever the elements may be there, the more likely you are to get booked and to ultimately be a, a successful speaker. Absolutely. And I think part of it is just always having that mindset of how are you serving your audience? Sure. It's funny, I was actually having lunch with a buddy of mine today who was working on a speaking business. And he said, well, so why did you start speaking? Was it to drive this? Was it to drive that? And I said, you know, I just felt that there was stuff I could do to help that audience achieve something else. And then I realized, wait a minute, and I can get paid to do that. Wow, that's a bonus. But I think that for a lot of us who speak, and that's our primary business, I enjoy doing it. And there are days where I sit there and I think to myself, man, I can't believe I get paid to do this because I really, really enjoy it. And it's just a blast. And when you see the synapses connect in the audience and you know that person is going to have a different tomorrow than they had today. Right. You know, it's worth way more than whatever they're paying us. Totally, totally. Although what they pay us is good still too. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't suck. I'm not saying that we should take that <laughs> instead. I'm just saying that in some cases, it's more rewarding. Sure. Than the sure. And there's sometimes where you're speaking and the event isn't well organized and they don't have their T's crossed and their I's dotted and you're like, thank God I'm getting paid for that. So I'm curious then, speaking is very much a momentum business and it's very much a, a relationship business. It's very much a long-term business. And so the longer you're in it, the more momentum you can build, the easier it is to get gigs. So I'm assuming that today for you, it's much easier to get gigs versus, you know, eight, nine years ago when you were getting started. So what were you doing early on to go from, yeah, I've got some ideas, I've got some things and some people said I might be good at speaking and I've got some expertise and some experience. How do you go from that to just getting the ball rolling at all? What were those early days like for you? Well, you know what? And this is, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I think that a lot of times people say, oh, well, this guy just woke up one day and people were paying him, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to come speak. It doesn't really work that way. So early on, it was friends of mine who said, well, you should speak to these Vistage and EO groups. I said, I don't know what a Vistage group is. And someone said, well, I'm a member of one. It's a peer CEO group. Let me introduce you to the chair of that group. And I will tell you that it's funny because the first group I ever spoke with, they rate their speakers zero to five, and I rated like 4.6, which is better than most, but like I would consider it, you know, it, it wasn't a very good performance in, in my world. And it's funny because six years later, I spoke to the same group where the chair said, hey, can you come back and speak to our group? Because I saw you speak somewhere else. And it was almost the identical members. These groups don't change members very often. Yeah. And the feedback form, it's like I scored five, five out of five across all the members. And the comment from people was, man, I seem to remember this guy came here like four or five years ago, but this guy is like at a totally different level. And the content didn't change that much, but there's a ton that I learned from that first session about what makes this successful for them. So if you think about it, if you're in a business that serves other businesses, if you can get in front of 12, 15, 20 CEOs at a time who all have expressed an interest in your topic, Mm -hmm. then there's a pretty good chance those people will reach out to you. And so in those environments in EO and Vistage, I have what may be a slightly different perspective than other people. Some people take the approach of, well, I'm going to hold back some of my best content and I'm going to deliver it there. And then they'll want more and they'll call me back. And I take the opposite approach, which is I want you to get all my best stuff. Right. And when I leave, I want you to think, damn, 
my VP of sales wasn't here. My sales management wasn't here. My other leaders weren't here. My subject matter experts weren't here. They all need to hear that. Yeah. And oh my God, that was amazing. And the guy left nothing back. Right. You know, he didn't hold anything back. And so those environments, you know, early on, it's funny, the first gig I ever did, someone wanted me to do like a two and a half hour workshop. And I thought, man, what could I charge for that? Well, tell you what, I'm going to really push the envelope and I'm going to charge $1,500 and see if they go for it. And they're like, well, how much is that? I said, well, it's $1,500. They're like, okay. <laughs> and I'm sure they were thinking it was going to be a lot more. Sure. Which kind of brings me to this notion of you can never charge more than you think you're worth. And so if you're a speaker, I've had people say, oh man, you should charge 30% more than you charge. But it doesn't work unless I believe it's worth that. Because otherwise, I'll be making excuses and I'll be apologizing for that fee when I speak with a potential client. So I have to know and feel 100% confident that the client is getting so much more value than what they're paying for, that it's a rounding error. Right. That, look, my fee in comparison to what you're going to get out of it is so trivial Sure. that how could you possibly not pay that fee? Right. So say that line again, you can never charge more than you think you're worth. Yeah, you can never charge a penny more than you think you're worth. Right, right. No matter what it is, if you think, look, I'm not worth more than $7,500. I'm not worth more than $3,500. It's true until you believe that it isn't. Yeah. I want to dig into that. Before we get there, I want to come back to, you mentioned how pivotal EO and Vistage were early on for you. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had a contact with one of the organizations that really kind of helped open that initial door. Yeah. Have you found that even fast forwarding to today that EO and Vistage, some of those type of groups that are gatherings of decision makers have been valuable for them? For How would you continue to go into and break into some of those groups? Absolutely. So for me, at this point, if you look up my categories in those groups, you know, if you're one of the top rated speakers and other people are, are shouting testimonials everywhere, it becomes pretty easy because someone calls up and says, hey, I'm with another EO chapter. Are you available on this date? Yeah. And yeah, we understand that your fee is more than most of the people, but we'll go for it. And for Vistage, it's one of the things that we do now is we get, I take 10 trips a year for tech or Vistage. In Canada, they call it tech. In the US, they call it Vistage and, and around the world. So I take 10 trips a year for them. Some of them are for large regional events where there are hundreds of people in attendance. Some of them are individual groups where I actually spoke to a group last year, actually, no, it was this year, where there were three members in attendance at the meeting. Their group got all messed up. There were three members in attendance. And people said to me, it was a total waste of time. And I said, well, it depends how you look at it. I actually booked all three businesses yeah. for full paying gigs afterwards where they're getting great benefits. So as long as you curate the groups properly so that it's an audience where you can have the greatest impact, then it doesn't matter if there are 10 people, if it's the right 10 people. It's one of the things that I teach in Same Side Selling in a book that I co-wrote with Jack Quarles is this notion that the numbers game is a misnomer. So it's not about how do I get in front of 10,000 people because then someone in there is bound to need what I want. In the example I gave before, look, I spoke to a group of three people, but it happened to be three of the right people. Right, right. So, you know, don't just poo-poo it because it's a small group. And in fact, I invited a guy who was a new speaker to sit in the session. And he's like, man, it was like you were speaking just to each one individually. I said, oh, yeah. With a group that small, I did my research in advance. I knew what their hot buttons were. I knew what was going to resonate. And I hit them with stuff that was so valuable that they came back and said, hey, how can you deliver that to the rest of my team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, with those, I think totally accurate and totally true that, and I would totally agree with that, that 
being in front of the right people can make such a difference for for getting additional business and getting spinoff business or referral or word of mouth. But from outside looking in, how would you know if those three people in that particular situation are the right people? Yeah. Exactly like you said, you could be in front of a room of 10,000 people and it doesn't move the needle at all because none of them are decision makers and yep. you know whatever the environment may be. But if you're in front of the group of three people of the right people, so there's a lot of organizations and groups that, hey, we would love for you to come. You're going to get a lot of exposure. All these amazing people are here which is a line they love to use. And in some cases it can be true, but it's really important for you as the speaker to know that it's true, not just because they're trying to sell you on that. So how do you kind of differentiate which events are worth, you know, from a marketing perspective, which events are worth doing maybe for a reduced or free fee versus them telling you that, oh, this is a perfect event for you. You're going to get so much business out of it. Yep. I want to address that. And then I also want to make sure we circle back because I'm guessing you have some listeners who are saying, well, that's all good and well when people are asking you to come speak, but how do I get in there in the first place? So first, let me talk about how I determine and my team determines what's a good fit and what isn't. And then I want to give people a roadmap of, okay, if you're trying to get into these organizations, how do you do it? Is that that cool? Totally. Okay. So first, one of the things that we do is we will often ask, look, can I see your roster in advance? Sometimes they will be reluctant to share it if you get to a certain point, I'm fortunate in that they kind of know it's one of my conditions. So don't ask me to speak to your group if you're not going to share the roster. And they know I'm not going to do anything with the content. I just want to make sure it's a good fit. Right. Now, I'm, I don't care what size companies they are. What I want to know is when I look at their websites, do they have something that differentiates them over other people? Do they have a service component to their business? Do they appear to be focused on quality versus price? Because those are the people I can have the greatest impact for. So sometimes people look at the raw demographics. Well, there are 50 companies that are 50 million and above, so that's a good fit for me. Not necessarily. If they're all in a commoditized business, it may not be the right fit. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's about figuring out for whom can we have the greatest impact? And then is the majority of the attendance made up of people like that? Right, right. Because candidly, I look at it as it's not in their best interest or my best interest for me to speak at an event where my message doesn't align with what their needs are. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a disservice to them. And if I'm being selective about which groups I'm speaking to, it's got to be the right ones. I mean, I've got, there's one right now where someone has come to me and said, look, here's this event. We have a hundred people in this specific industry. It's largely managing directors, CEOs, senior executives in this industry, but we can only afford X. So would love to have you come. Will you do it? And I was like, mm you know, let me think about it. And then you know, two weeks later, and we'll fly you and your spouse here in economy and like the next day, I mean, first class. And it's like, you know, it just keeps building up, but I know they've got some budgetary constraints. I just have to determine, is it the right audience? And it's less about, it's kind of weird. I don't look at it as, am I getting a business out of it? I look at it as if I deliver amazing value, will those people want more? Sure. And so if I don't think I can deliver amazing value, that becomes the gap. Right. Should we circle back to how we get into those places? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if you're somebody who's trying to get into Vistage, EO, those types of groups, there's a couple things you have to look at. The first is this notion that a lot of people who are, let's say, executive coaches will come in and they'll present themselves to a Vistage chair. And all these organizations have chairs that run different size meetings. And they'll say, oh, I'd love to speak to your group because I'm an executive coach. The problem is what they didn't consider is, 
wait a minute, the Vistage here sees themselves as an executive coach. Right. So right. now I'm coming in saying, hi, I'm your competitor. Won't you let me into the hen house? And they're like, no, no, we're going to keep you outside. <laughs> right, right. So the first thing you have to put your finger on the pulse of is, what are the symptoms or problems that you solve for their audience? Mm -hmm. So instead of, let's say you're somebody who is, speaks on employee engagement, you can either say, oh, well, I speak on employee engagement, so I'd love to speak to your group. Or you can look at what are the symptoms of a lack of employee engagement. So I could say, well, so for example, if you have members where their employees almost feel like they're going through the motions, but they're not really engaged. If they, if morale is kind of down, if people just aren't getting along well together, if they're not being as productive as they could be, I have a message that helps people get to the root of that and fix it. Now it's like, because think about it. They don't, people don't sit in a room and go, man, if only we could find someone on employee engagement, right. they say, man, I'm sick and tired of these people coming to work and just like not getting anything done. So if you can describe the problems that you solve, and by the way, by the end of our session, here are the three main things that your executives are going to know about that they may not have known about before. Yeah, yeah. Then the chair says, wow, that's valuable for my audience. I want to bring you into them because I think you can help. And it's a subtle distinction, but I think it's really important for speakers to recognize that oftentimes we say, this is what I want to speak about. This, we shout it from the mountaintops versus what's ultimately the problem that we can solve for that audience? Because the decision maker, the event planner could care less what you want to speak about. They ultimately care of what's in it for them. How is what you speak on? How is it going to solve the problem for my audience? So if you have this amazing, cool story about how amazing you are, it does squat for us if it doesn't actually help the audience in some way or solve some type of specific problem or pain that they may have. Great. You were so dead on right. The, for example, someone comes to me and says, well, gee, what do you speak about? It's, well, look, my clients usually are facing one of two or three things. Either their sales cycle is going forever. They don't know why. Yeah. They have great stuff, but their clients commoditize them and it always comes down to price instead of value. Or they have a ton of people who are experts in their industry, but they don't have the foggiest clue what types of questions they should ask what type of dialogue they should have that can help drive business for the company. And if you're facing those sorts of issues, my clients tell me I deliver amazing results that fixes that, but not everyone's facing those issues. Yeah. yeah. Well, in my world, fortunately, only about 97% of the companies are facing those issues. Sure, sure. So it becomes pretty easy. I would encourage a listener to go back 30, 60 seconds and listen to that again. Just the, again, it's a very subtle difference of what do you speak about? Well, I speak about sales or I speak about leadership and I speak, about, which would all be accurate. And that's the standard answer that most speakers would have, but phrasing it in a way that, well, most of the clients that I work with are dealing with these problems. If you deal with these problems, knowing that they do, and you would like my help in solving these, here's what we can do. That's a yeah. great, I think it's very, very subtle, but I, I assume it's a very powerful way for you to, to ultimately get your foot in the door with potential clients. Absolutely. And what it also does is it opens up the dialogue now about your client instead of about you. So if I say to them, well, so I speak about sales, they're going to say, well, what specifically? Yeah. And if I say, well, here are the types of problems that I solve, but not everyone's facing those, are you? And they say, well, yeah, we are. Well, if you had to pick one of those, which one? Yeah. Well, the price versus value. Can you give me some examples of that? And now they're like crying on your shoulder about this issue that they're facing and they're just looking for someone to fix it. Right, right. So it's always more powerful to talk about their issues rather than your own issues. And so if, if we can shift that dialogue, it makes you really stand out. It's funny because when I get speaking gigs that come through speaker bureaus, ironically, 
I closed a hundred percent of the ones where the bureau sets up a phone call between the client and me. Mm-hmm. And we get about 15% of the ones where they don't. And so now we've kind of said, look, if in the first week after you place a hold, if we can't have a dialogue with the client, we're just going to release the hold. Yeah. Because we know it's probably not going to happen anyhow. Right. Right. Let's go, let's dig into the selling part. Cause this is a part that most speakers have a very difficult time with because they're, they have a difficult time detaching themselves from the service they're providing. And so what we think that if they don't pick us, if the client doesn't pick us, they're rejecting us as a human being. So how do we start? I mean, to, that's not what's happening. Well, so <laughs> like, how do we, like, how do we overcome those mental barriers? Right. Cause if I'm selling, you know, a water bottle or a phone or something, if they don't, if they got an issue with the device, well, they, they didn't like the device, but if they don't pick me, they, it's, it feels like this personal vendetta that they have against us or something. So how did you early on and even today, how do you recommend that speakers sell themselves in a way where they, they are confident in what they offer? Like you mentioned, you can never charge more than you think that you're worth and you build some of that confidence there. But at the same time, ultimately at the end of the day, you are providing value for, for the clients that you're working with. Well, there's a few things. The first is that as there's a signature bit in, some, in a number of my talks where I say price matters most, when the seller believes price matters most. So price matters most when the person who's doing the selling believes that that's the most important thing. Hmm. And so oftentimes the seller, the speaker is thinking, well, there's no way they have budget for this. And there are times where I've told clients, oh yeah, for what you want for this type of engagement, it's $40,000. And they say yes so quickly that I'm thinking, Man, they would have paid eighty. Right, I know right, they would have. Right. But my own self-limiting belief got in the way. So there's a few things to think about. One is, if you go out to dinner and you decide to have the chicken, it's not because you will never in your life have an appetite for the fish. Sure. It just means that in that particular moment, you felt more like the chicken. So when an organizer is looking for speakers for an event, they're just often looking for a mixture of personalities, of styles, of this is something that catches their attention. So I tend to try and pivot it differently, which is when, when I'm talking to somebody about an event, I say, well, what are you trying to accomplish? Because not every event's a right fit for my approach. Mm-hmm. So I just want to put our heads together and see whether or not between us, we agree this is a good fit or not. Yeah. So now it's not, look, let me submit my stuff and you're judging me. I'm getting on the same side of the table with them for us to determine whether or not this appears to be a good fit. Right. So that's, that's the first side of it. The second thing is when it comes to pricing, and this is something that's hard for a lot of, a lot of speakers, what you have to kind of think about is, what is the, what's this whole event costing? So if someone is putting on their own internal event, you know, if I'm doing an event for, I'm just thinking of like some recent clients, like, you know, Thermo Fisher or Allstate or someone like that, and they've got, 1,500 people that they're bringing in and they're putting them up in the hotel for a few nights. And oh, on top of that, they've got conference room space for 1,500 people and they've got all sorts of meals for all these people and airfare. Guess what? They're spending millions of dollars. And just so you know, no matter what you charge, it's probably less than they're paying for coffee. Yeah. Yep. So you just need to have perspective on what the event is. Now, you also need to look at it as where are you in your speaking career? So early on, I would speak at a Chamber of Commerce event and I would charge them, look, um, gee, how many people are going to be at the event? 300 people. Great. Will you guys buy 300 copies of the book mm-hmm. and I'll come speak? Because I figured, man, if 300 people get the book, there's a chance a subset of those will reach out to me in the future. I need more 
at bats, if you will, Mm -hmm. and just more practice getting on stage and making mistakes and getting things right or wrong and learning as you go along. And now I become more and more cynical where someone will say, well, you know, gee, all we have is $10,000. And I think, well, that's good news. You guys only have to find another (laughs) $10,000. Some people- You already got the deposit right there. (laughs) You guys are halfway home. That's great news. (laughs) And it's just a bizarre thing because it wasn't that long ago that I would have gladly spoken to that environment for free. But now I look at it and say, here's what your event is worth. And if you have somebody who does an amazing job, then- your clients are going to come back. People are going to want to pay to come back to your event. It's going to be that much better each year because of what I'm bringing to the table. And so if that's valuable to you, man, I'd love to be there. But if it's not, I'm not the right guy. Now, you're absolutely correct in terms of, let's say there's an event that has a million dollar, $2 million budget, or even just a half million dollar budget, and they have all these different expenses that go into the event. So you're correct that the speaker, which may be a really pivotal part of the event, is a fraction of the expense. We can understand that, but is there, do you, how often are you running into with potential clients of them going, yeah, but we've never paid a speaker that much? Or, you know, our budget only allows up to 10 or five or whatever. So even though like, yeah, but in the scheme of things, this is, this really moves the needle way more than your coffee budget line item. Absolutely. So how are you overcoming that? I'll give you, I'll give you a dialogue that I use for that. There's a couple different avenues you can take. One is something that I picked up from Connie Podesta, who I just thought was the way she handles it. I just smirk and just think it's very clever. What Connie would say is something along the lines of, Well, so what level is your audience, zero to 10, in terms of the level of sophistication and how important these people are to you? How would you rate them? And no one's going to say their audience is a four. (laughs) Sure, sure. They're going to say a 10. Okay, because the budget you gave me, speakers kind of rated from zero to 10. And then there are the celebrities. So unless you're looking for a celebrity of six figures, you're looking at that zero to 10 range. And it sounds like you've got a budget that's like a level six, And how's that going to fit with your audience that, oh, by the way, you just told me it's a level 10, (laughs) right? And now it's like, so maybe, and if you think you can get somebody, I mean, if somebody is at that fee and they're a level 10, you might find one of those people who isn't charging what they should be charging yet. And that's awesome. Yeah. But otherwise, if you want someone that that level 10 audience sees as credible, then maybe that's important. Right. And there's that side of it. That's the a other tough s- approach. <laughs> that's right. But by the way, though, but it gets people like, that's a good point, yeah. right? Yeah. Why would someone be less versus someone being more? Well, they, the person who's more, it's probably you get what you pay for. Sure. The other side is that what I'll do is I'll ask people, so if you were an event organizer, I might ask you, say, so, gee, you know, Grant, you've had events in the past. I'm sure you've had some events that were good and some that weren't. What made the events great? And almost every time it's going to be, oh, the speaker killed it. Yeah. Okay. And because that happened, how did that impact the event for next year? Well, registration was up. There was a lot of buzz. Okay. Did you guys get additional business out of that? Oh, we did. Okay. How much additional business if you, if you had to guess? And now it's like they're realizing, wow, a great speaker generates an extra quarter of a million dollars for us. Right. And now I'm battling over five grand. Right, right. So okay, part fine. of it- You can have the steak dinner. It's fine. Exactly. We'll, we'll add it in. <laughs> exactly. But it's but that's part of the discussion is to make sure there's a mutual understanding about value. So the two trigger points for selling higher value, and this is something I talk about a lot, is the two elements are the impact of them not solving the issue or getting the right person, and then the results associated with getting that person or the um, 
kind of the measurable value of getting the positive result that you're expecting. So the impact is what happens if you don't solve it? Well, if I don't get somebody good, then gee, we're going to have potential downside. We're going to, we might lose attendance next year. There'd be negative buzz. Our perception of the marketplace could go down. Got it. We might lose sponsorship. Really? How much sponsorship do you have? Well, our event has a hundred thousand dollars in sponsorship. Okay. Well, I mean, even if someone killed, it was awful, you're not going to lose all of it, right? No, we could lose 20 grand of it. Huh? Okay. And then, so if you had someone who's amazing, what might that do for you? And now they see the benefit. You might also, one of the things that I often do is if someone says, well, gee, you know, it's going to cost 20 plus for you and we only have 15, I'll say, great. Some of the things that other events do is they will arrange to have a sponsor as, let's say, a book sponsor. Mm -hmm. And they might buy a few thousand dollars in books, but they charge $10,000 for that sponsorship. And then when I'm there the night before, I'll have dinner with the sponsor and their invited guests, and then I'll sign the books in their booth. Is that something you guys think you could sell? And now I'm giving them a way right. to finance the additional piece. So I'm always trying to find that win-win. It's not a matter of, oh, you don't have the money? Well, tough. I always have to be empathetic to their situation, but I have to help them find a solution. Right. Well, and one of the other things too there is that let's say your fee is 20 and they say we have 15. Most speakers would be like, great, I'll do it for 15, right? And they just yeah. kind of the fee is, their fee is whatever way the wind is blowing that particular day and they really lose some fee integrity. So I like the idea of saying, totally understand that that's where you're at, but here's some other options or here's what some other clients have done. And again, you're kind of helping them be creative in their problem solving instead of just looking at this, this one line item as a black or white thing. Yes. But have you considered your resource budget or your, your book budget or some of these other budgets that you can pull from to help kind of supplement what your, your speaking fee would be? Yep. I've also done things with people where I say, look, if less than a month out from your event, if I'm still available on that date, I would do it at that fee but I can't lock it in in advance. And they'll say, well, but we want to use you to market. Yeah, but you know what? If it doesn't matter who you get, then it really doesn't matter if you're using my name to market the event. Right. Well, no, we think we'd get extra people if you're there. Really? How many more people? I don't know, like 50. Okay. And what are you guys charging? <laughs> Two grand a Pete. Like all of a sudden it's like, they do the math in their head. It's like, yeah, okay. Just send us an invoice. <laughs> Your point about price integrity grant is dead on. It's something that I want to make sure people really understand and grasp. If you say my fee is, $10,000 and someone says, I only have 7,500 and you say, great, I'll take it. Yeah. Just so you know, your fee is $7,500 now Yeah. because the word will spread and people will know that's what it is. So if you believe you're worth it, then stick to your guns and that's your fee. And if you don't believe you're worth it and you can't justify why it's that fee, then you shouldn't be there. Right. Right. And so that's the balance is I will often hear clients say to other clients, well, so, wow, we were going to bring Ian in, but it was going to be expensive. You know, you guys brought him in. Didn't you find it expensive? He goes, yeah, we, we thought it was pretty pricey until like 60 days later when our performance just eclipsed that and we realized it didn't matter at all. And if he had charged five times that, it still would have been a deal. Right. Then it's like, if you're creating that level of impact, it really doesn't matter what it costs. And the thing I would argue is this, is that how much less would the client have to pay for it to be a good deal for them to not get the results they need. Right. right. And the answer is they have to pay almost nothing in order for it to be a good deal and not get the results. So if you know you can deliver the results for them, then just have that confidence that you're worth 
what your fee is. Yeah. As a speaker, you're very much positioning yourself as an investment rather than just a line item expense, right? There is, you're not going to get any ROI on the coffee break, but if if the right speaker comes in and delivers to the right audience, there's absolutely a massive ROI to the individuals, to the event itself, to the organization, the company. There's a huge, huge ripple effect that oftentimes event planners may not think through or just may not realize or see. So part of the speaker's responsibility is to help connect those dots in a non-sleazy sort of way. Absolutely. And keep in mind, this is all easy for us to say at our fee level. Sure. And the person who is trying to like get into the business and says, yeah, I don't know what this guy's world this guy's living in, but I'm not there. Keep in mind that when you're early in your career, you're the one getting the benefit. So it's like, okay, how can I make this so easy for the event organizer to bring me in? Because if I can speak to a group of 100 people and do great, then some of those people are going to reach out to me for maybe a $3,000 engagement. And I do enough of those and people say, wow, this person was a bargain at three. Now I'm charging five. Yeah. And then, wow, people say, wow, they were a bargain at five. Now you're at 7,500. And it's all about delivering value for your audience. If you do that, this can be a really easy business. Right. And it's the time where you don't invest the additional effort to make sure your clients have great results that you can take three steps back pretty easily. Right, right. And at the same time, it's important to remember that speaking in terms of budgets and fees is very much a pyramid, that there's a handful of speakers that can charge 10, 15, 20, 25 plus on up, again, outside of the celebrity category. And at the same time, there's only a handful of clients, so to speak, that may have that level of budget. But what that also means is for speakers who are new or who are getting started who are in the sub $5,000 category, there is a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of events that have a $3,000 budget. They can't afford a $20,000 speaker, but they still want someone that's a really quality, a really quality speak. They don't want someone that's just going to phone it in. And we got someone from the local Rotary Club just to come give a little token talk, but we really want someone solid and they've got 3000 to work with. And that's a great opportunity for a lot of speakers early on. And for those people to invest in your program, since that many of our friends and colleagues have as well, to really hone your craft is critical because if you get that opportunity and the Chamber of Commerce says, okay, we gave you 40 minutes and you do zero to 10, a five, then guess what? You've just left an impression on those 500 people that you're mediocre. Sure. Or you can get up there and kill it, and then you know it's going to drive additional business. There are also people who, I mean, there are a lot of businesses where it behooves them to speak for free because they get a ton of business out of their exposure. So in those businesses, you're not measured by necessarily what you charge. It's more what's the impact you get and how does it impact your business going forward. So don't feel like, oh, I have to charge 10,000, 15, 20,000. There are people I know who, speak at events because they know that on any given event for every hundred people who are there, they're going to pick up three clients who are each worth $80,000 to them. So they're going to make a quarter million dollars for every hundred people who are there. Right. Like they'll pay you to speak at their event and they don't care because they know how it's going to convert. And that's one of the keys to this is, you know, we all get hung up on fee. If I was selling additional stuff from the stage, I probably wouldn't care about the fee, but I'm just trying to deliver as much value as I can there. And I'm not selling something else. So if I'm going to spend that much time in airplanes and hotels, I need to make sure I'm getting paid for it. We all like to eat and live indoors. And so we got to <laughs> we, we get paid something for our time. So Ian, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate this. If people want to find out more about you, check out some of the what you're up to and uh, even check out some of your books. Where can we go? 
ianaltman.com. So it's just I-A-N-A-L-T-M-A-N.com. And I'm Ian Altman on Twitter. And any questions that you have, any of your listeners have, just fire me a note and you'll be surprised that you'll actually get a response from me and not a robot. There you go. It's so simple, like just replying to people's emails. And most people think, whoa, 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 he actually replied. We're... Ian's a normal dude. I can promise you that. So he will, uh, he'll absolutely get back with us. So uh, Ian, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. You bet. Be well. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ian. Again, a lot of great insights shared by Ian. So definitely check out his work over at ianaltman.com. Again, that's ianaltman.com. Hey, again, one more reminder, definitely check out myspeakerfee.com as well. Myspeakerfee.com if you're looking for a, uh, a calculator just to kind of figure out how much should you be charging as a speaker. Again, you can find that over at myspeakerfee.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We will catch you next time. You're awesome.